Fellow Mountaineers, you made it to episode 7 of the Bearded Eared podcast titled Trust the Beard. In this episode, I'll give my review of the West Virginia Penn State game and have some reactions to the fan reactions. But I want to remind all you old grads and young lads, if you enjoy my content, please share it to all of Mountaineer Nation. Just let them know this podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Just search Trust the Beard. And for more content, follow me on Facebook and X at Earbeard. That's E-E-R-B-E-A-R-D. But without further ado, I will kick off this episode as we look at the Penn State-West Virginia game that I have titled My Soapbox. So I'm going to interrupt this episode already with a, a few corrections you know, I, I listened to my recording. I found some miscues that I had. And rather than re-record, since some of these segments are so long, and for the sake of time, I didn't want to do all that. So I'll just do a quick rundown. Uh, in the episode, I reference Markiel when he came out. Um, I said it was like a trick play, which it kind of was, but it wasn't the reverse I was thinking. Um, I think they lined up Garrett Green out there, snapped it to Markiel. Uh, but my thoughts on the play... Uh, still stands, so I wanted to clarify that. And I believe that was later in the game than I originally thought. Also, I, I say Pitt at one point, but I do mean Penn State when I'm referencing that game. And then also later in the episode, I referenced the Virginia Tech game from 2005. I said we lost 34-7, to but I mean 34-17. So these are some things I just wanted to clarify. Again, for the sake of time, I didn't want to re-record but with that said, we'll jump right back into the episode. Thanks, guys. Before we get started, let me just apologize to you guys a little bit uh, for coming out with this a little later than I anticipated. Um, September has become a very busy month for me. I added on a couple more hats other than the podcast and working a full-time job and being, you know, full-time dad and husband. Uh, I'm now a soccer coach for my son's team and then uh, also a uh, youth leader in my church. So all the schedules kind of culminated over the weekend and this week. So it's been extremely busy. Uh, This is the first chance I've really had to sit down and kind of hash out my thoughts. But, you know, I won't dive into... Too many numbers. Like I said, I'm, I'm recording this on Wednesday. So, you know, we, we know what the numbers are at this point. Um, this is going to be more of just a reflection of the game overall. What I liked, what I didn't like out of the team. And we'll touch on some of the fan reactions. Uh, I, I think those have been interesting as of lately. Definitely uh, some salty fans. Fans that seem to have uh, turned on Neil Brown real quick. One of them being Pat McAfee. So I'll kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, but this is going to be kind of a therapy session, uh, for fans that feel like, uh, they need to take the jump (laughs) after that loss at Penn State. Uh, I'm just here to tell you that it's going to be okay. So without further ado, here we go. I'm going to jump into my thoughts on the Penn State loss at Happy Valley. here we go. Here's my thoughts. Two things right off the bat. Things we thought were strengths were the strengths. Run game O-line. 
things we thought were the weaknesses were our weaknesses, the secondary and the wide receivers. So no real surprises there to me. Um, One of the big surprises, honestly, was the defensive line. I thought they held their own uh, pretty well, especially the red zone defense, I think, held up. You know, they forced three field goal attempts, and of course, you know, Penn State missed two of them. Um, The secondary overall, I really don't think that was that terrible. I know the numbers uh, reflect differently as far as, you know, passing yards and the touchdowns. But if you look at when they were giving up those those open passes, if you notice, those were starting to come later in the game. And I think the defense was tired. And the reason for that is because I don't think the offense was doing them any favors. You know, we were battling in that game. And when you're not scoring points and you're you're forcing the punt, it just it puts more and more pressure on the defense. And eventually the defense is going to be like a damn wall where after a few cracks, you know, this crack starts spreading and eventually it's going to burst. And we saw that. That's pretty much what happened. Um, So overall, the defense, the defense was a surprise. I thought they played pretty well considering the environment and the opponent. Um, My biggest letdowns, wide receiver mostly. Um... You know, we didn't really see a whole lot out of them. Uh, Devin Carter had a had a nice game. Um, we didn't see a lot of our running back depth. I'm not sure why that is. And, you know, if it wasn't part of the game plan, then so be it. But I was expecting to see um, some more of that, especially like Jaheim White, uh, certainly Justin Johnson. Um, but, you know, the flow of the game happens. You know, are you comfortable with those guys? Or are you not? Things change, so that I don't put that too high up on the list. But just personally, I was I was wanting to see more of that. Um, I believe that EJ Horton and Jacoby Spells were both injured, so you know EJ Horton's a wide receiver transfer from Marshall, and Jacoby Spells uh, is a sophomore safety who who had some playing time last year and actually performed pretty well. So, um, you know, if you didn't see those guys, I believe that's that's why they weren't out there. Um, overall, just going to look at the defense. You know, we held Penn State to 146 rushing yards. Um, I think that's pretty good, and I and I say you know we held them to that because our D line was a big question coming into the game, and of course their running backs, um, their O line was projected to be pretty good. So we weren't really sure what we were going to get out of that matchup. And overall, we, we equaled them in rushing stats. Right, We had 146. They had 146. Um, you know, I, I think going into the game, if you had said West Virginia and Penn State will equal rushing yards, I think you'd feel pretty good because either that means you got a lot and they got a lot or we both held each other in check. Uh, which it was kind of somewhere in the middle, you know, roughly about 150. So that really cancels each other out, right? We, the, the running games were kind of a non-factor for both teams in that sense. So what was the huge difference? Well, it was the passing game. And that was kind of where the biggest disappointment, I think, and not that I think West Virginia fans were expecting an explosive passing game, 
but we really didn't get anything. You know, uh, Penn State passed for 332 yards and West Virginia passed for 162. And right there, I think, is your difference maker. That's your lack of explosion, you know, that's always sought after. Um, more on the D-line, you know, we had one sack, four tackles for a loss. To me, that number has to come up um, moving forward. And I understand your opponent only getting one sack and tackle for a loss. Um, you know, that Penn State's a tough team. So I, you know, those numbers aren't bad for that game. But moving forward, those numbers have to increase. If, if we go into Penn State and Tech, TCU, with one sack and four tackles for a loss, that's not good. Um, those numbers need to improve. And also, also, if you know, if, this, if the secondary is going to be the question again, like they were last year, and as we saw in this game, uh, I think they were our weakest spot, perhaps, um, maybe second to last, a wide receiver. If they're going to be a major question again, then that those pressures have to improve. Right? We have to get pressure on the quarterback to force bad throws. Uh, you know, give our secondary some help. Um, moving to linebacker, Lee Koba, that dude is legit. He is a legit pro talent. Um, where in the pro rank will he get drafted or, you know, uh, what team will he go to? Un- uh, undrafted free agent, who knows? But I think he's definitely a pro talent. Um, you know, if that will linebacker position is solidified, uh, I think we need to use him much like David Long uh, was used in Gibby's defense. If you remember him under Holgerson, he was just a heat-seeking heat missile. They just let him fire off the ball, go through the line, and do what he needs to do. Um, again, that's if the, the full linebacker position starts to get solidified. And it looks like it, it did. I think they played well. Um, I know that was a question coming in. Um but I think you got to let your playmakers make plays. And if you can shore up those other two linebacker positions um, so they're not such a liability, and just let Koba go do his thing. Um, I think he will wreak some serious havoc in the backfield. And that can increase our sacks and tackles for loss. Now, if you look at our top seven tacklers from Saturday, this is a concern for me. None of them are D linemen. And four of them are secondary. Um, certainly I'd like to see more D linemen as our, as our top tacklers. That means the offense isn't getting past the line too much. And I know it, it, it's one game and given the opponent, this is not a stat that you should freak out over, but just like the sacks and tackles for loss moving forward, you'd like to see that change. You need, I think you need to have more D linemen as your top tacklers and less secondary players. So that's kind of my rundown of the defense. Overall, I I thought they played pretty well. Um, Obviously some missed opportunities with some interceptions. And, but I I think they, they, they played well until they just couldn't and they just got gassed. So with that, we'll flip over to the offense and I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on what I thought of that. 
for the offense, uh, the O-line is great, um, or at least really good. We'll, we'll see in time if, how great they are, but specifically the interior. Uh, the run game is legit. Garrett Green's legs are legit. Um, so those are things that we knew coming in uh, would be a major factor for us. The wide receivers in the passing game, that's still the big question marks. Uh, you know, we couldn't get big plays down the field. That's certainly a, a concern moving forward. You know, I touched on earlier, uh, Devin Carter had a nice game. Six receptions for 90 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, though. And really, if you take that number and you project it, and I know this is a lot of what if, uh, but if he had a similar game like that every week, you know, we're looking at 70 receptions for over 1,000 yards. Now, again, I, I don't expect that from him every game, um, but if that's what it averages out to be, at the end of the season, that that's pretty good. That's what you wanted out of your number one guy. Um, so at least for now, he's on pace to having a productive year. Um, you know, still kind of wondering with Traylon Ray. I know he did have, uh, they did have one target at least that I know of. Um, that was kind of a bad throw. And then Rodney Gallagher, he didn't really see. And again, uh, this could be like the Jaheim White Maybe they just weren't fitting into the flow of the game where you felt comfortable putting them in there. And that's fine. Um, you know, again, that's not high on my list of why did these guys not play. Just kind of more of wondering why we didn't get to see them. And, you know, the passing game, that was a concern going into the season. And, like I said, it's still a lot of unanswered questions there. And, you know, again, you have to take into account the opponent. It is one of the better defenses that we will see, which a lot of people were saying this. You know, this could be the best def- defense we see all season. You know, Neil Brown even said they had multiple NFL guys on there, especially one at corner. So with that in mind, I mean, it, it, it's hard to rate how good or how bad we, we actually are. You know, if, if Penn State is a legit top 10 team as the season plays out I think you can feel good about um, about our team overall and with the passing game I think if you could just get it to average we'll be okay and I know that sounds silly but our our strength is the run game right our O-line our backs our mobile quarterback that's what we are built to do so if your passing game even though it's your weakest point if you can still get by with it, like I said, if it's just average, I think we'll be okay because to me, all the other units out there either excelled or at least held their ground. Um, you know, and that even goes back to the secondary. I know it's not the strong suit, but I think they held up okay. I mean, you know, we were, we were in this game for about three quarters. Um, but looking at some positives, to come out of that and that's that's kind of the offense it didn't go into much because really a lot didn't happen um we all know about the calls uh that didn't go our way as far as the 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 play calls and stuff like that and i mean is it is it a factor of we didn't know what we were doing or penn state's defense was so good that they just kind of sniffed it out 
I think it's a little bit of uh, a 50-50. Maybe it wasn't the right call at the time, and maybe Penn State, I mean, they were fast. They had a lot of speed on defense. So, I mean, if, if they were sniffing out what was coming, they could blow it up pretty quick, as we saw. But overall, some positives. Uh, to me, what stands out the most, no turnovers. Um, you know, it may seem like a small thing, but that was one of the keys is we could not let them have the ball. And we didn't, uh, you know, aside from having to punt it away and not converting, you know, we didn't throw it over or we didn't turn it over. Um, you know, we did have a chance at two, which still haunts me that that makes me a little bit nervous. Again, moving forward, these are all the points I'm making is we have to get better at these things, right? Those turnovers that we let slip through our fingers, literally, you have to make those plays. If you're going to beat a number seven team on the road, you have to make those. And moving forward, you know, if we're playing at TCU, Pitt, Tech, Oklahoma, you know, games against Oklahoma State, if those opportunities arise, you have to take advantage of those. Um, and overall, you know, Neil said they worked on physicality. They worked on tackling and turnovers in the offseason and, and fall camp. And to me, that that showed. I think um, the run game was, was very physical. Uh, I thought we matched them about as well as we could. <clears throat> and you could tell the defense was going after the ball, right? Like I said, uh, Jacoby, or not Jacoby Spells, Aubrey Burks jumped on the one. Uh, Beanie Bishop had that one in the in the end zone that he jumped the route on, and they and they were right there. So I could see that they were working on it. It was something I saw guys trying to punch it out and strip it. Um, so I give Neil credit for that. I could tell that we were attempting to try to get turnovers. It just didn't happen. Um, I think overall, I in, I didn't have this in my notes. So I'm just kind of thinking this off the top of my head. I got to give that about a C performance. Um, you know, I think the defense is probably about a B and the offense is probably about a, like a C minus, maybe a D plus. Um, just wasn't enough there offensively. I, I think we held our own in the run game, but that was, that was about it. Um, you know, we, we had some issues moving the ball down the field through the passing game. So that's my uh, that's my offense. That's kind of a, a grade for the performance. And then now I'll I'll jump down to uh, we'll go talk about some X factors uh, in the game. So two points I mentioned uh, last episode that we needed uh, to give our team a chance. You know, that was to muddy the waters and the the element of surprise. So kind of some X factors. And I thought we muddied the water. You know, we we ran the ball 40 times. Uh, We had the ball longer in possession. We had 31 minutes to their 28, which I think if you're going to win, that probably needs to be a little more in our favor. Uh, But overall, we did have the ball longer. Um, I thought we got some decent pressure on Aller. But he's good. Um, you know, he stepped up. He 
moved around in the pocket to avoid some pressures, and he delivered the ball when he needed. Um, one of the factors, I think, that didn't work out is, you know, I said our DBs uh, need to make things a little more difficult for the wide receivers. I don't think that really happened in the game. Uh, it looked like we were giving them some cushion, which I understand if that's the game plan to keep things in front of you, to not allow deep passes. That I understand. Um, I think it worked for the most part early on, but like I said, you know, later in the game, they're starting to get those bigger passes uh, as the defense was getting worn down. So as far as, like I said, muddy the waters, I, I, I think we did that to the, to the best of our ability. Uh, certainly, we were um, getting them a little off schedule. Like, you know, we were forcing some incomplete passes uh, early on, like, uh, running the ball, keeping the possession. You know, I, I thought we did pretty decent on that. And the other one I said, you know, element of surprise. Uh, <laughs> we certainly tried, right? We had a couple trick plays, a two-point conversion, an onside kick. You know, there's plays where we're in the script or at least you know, on the play sheet, perhaps, uh, but uh, they just didn't get executed right. Uh, the two-point conversion is the only one that we actually got right, and at that point, it was kind of too late, but, uh, you know, the two trick plays, uh, I, I don't know. I, the, the one, I'm not sure where it even happened, but you're kind of running this reverse, and you give and Marchio ends up with the ball and looking downfield to pass. The the one thing about that play I didn't understand is I, I know he's moving to his left because he's left-handed, but you're having him work on the short side of the field to do that. I, that just seemed odd to me, and I don't know if it's something where Neil thought, well, they would expect a reverse to the, to the long side of the field. So if I do it on the short side, that'll throw them off. I don't know. That's above my uh, pay grade and understanding of football, but that that one play kind of stuck out to me as like, why would you run that and have him forced to the short side of the field? So if he did have to run, he really doesn't have anywhere to go. And we saw that. Uh, but to sum up the game overall, to me, it, it two things, missed opportunities. Um, you know, we touched on the, the two interceptions that we missed. But the one in particular, um, you know, we held Penn State to a three and out after halftime. And I was going into half, uh, you know, I had a lot of family over watching the game. and We were talking about it. It's like we realized, oh, wait, Penn State gets the ball uh, in the second half. And I immediately kind of was like, oh, boy, here we go. Well, they shocked me, and we held them to three and out in that opening drive of the second half, and I was, you know, that kind of got me a little more perked up. I'm like, okay, let's go and, and get some points out of this, and we ended up on a third and two and, and tried to trick play that just didn't work. Um, so that, that one was kind of disappointing. That, to me, was a huge opportunity because you're assuming Penn State's going to make the adjustments at halftime. They're going to come out and score. Now they're up 21-7. So it's like, okay, you know, we thought this was going to happen. But when you hold them to three and out, like they didn't even move the ball hardly. And you have a real chance to tie the game or at least, you know, get a field goal 
and you, you come away with nothing. I, that's that was really disappointing. Um, I think that started turning the tide uh, a little bit towards uh, Penn State. But some, um, you know, some perks. To me, Happy Valley uh, didn't seem to intimidate us. Uh, the noise didn't seem to be too much of a factor. You know, I, I spoke with a few people who attended, and they said it was loud, you know, especially after they scored their first touchdown. A guy told me, you know, it said like, he said the it felt like the stadium was shaking. Um, they were being so rowdy. So certainly the, the, the hype was real about how loud Happy Valley could be, but it didn't seem to phase us, right? We didn't didn't have a lot of miscommunications based on that. So I, I do give us credit for that. Um, but overall, I'll, I'll just say uh, the season is far from over uh, after this game. You know, we still have 11 games left, right? It, it's only one. And if you look at week one, some of the Big 12 uh, media darlings like Texas Tech, uh, they didn't look so hot in week one, right? They, they lose to Wyoming. Baylor loses to uh, Texas State. BYU only scores 14 against Sam Houston State, who was an FCS team last year. Um, Obviously, TCU goes down. So of all the the bad looks after week one, especially in the Big 12, I don't think we're one of them. I think we're probably somewhere in the middle. We didn't look overly impressive, and we didn't look like we didn't belong. Um, basically what people thought would happen, the game happened. So here we are 0-1, and, and we just have to learn from those mistakes. We'll get back to Duquesne, uh, we'll get that win, and then we start our 10-game season, um, starting with Pitt. If we can get that one in Texas Tech, you know, we'll be rolling pretty good. Um, so that's just my overall assessment of the game, my thoughts about it. Um, like I said, I'd probably give our grade about a C. You know, it, it, it was average overall. Uh, some parts were better than others, but in the end, you know, it, it was an average game for us. And that could be because it's week one, you know, we have a lot of new parts, uh, new quarterbacks, and you have to also have to factor in the opponent and the environment. So with that said, Um, The next segment, we're going to jump into some of the fan reactions, and I'll forewarn you, this is a bit of a, going to be a soapbox for me, so um, bear with me on that. You may agree with me, you may not, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into what I think about the team moving forward, and then again, like I said, some of the fan reactions after week one. So this segment, like I said, will be a bit of a soapbox uh, for me, and really it's about kind of the fan reaction following the pit game. Um, you know, I, I just don't understand how we're using this Penn State game as a measuring stick for the entire season. You know, we're, we're holding Neil Brown to this standard uh, that no coach in West Virginia history has ever achieved. You know, no one has went on the road and beat number seven. It just hasn't happened. You know, 82... We did beat number nine, Oklahoma, and then uh, 2012, we beat number 11, Texas. So certainly it's been done where we've 
we've uh, won big games on the road. And some of those have come at home and in bowl games. But bowl games to me aren't true road games, right? You're not going in, into the opponent's stadium. It's, it's a neutral site. And, and I understand the frustration with that. Uh, but, but this idea that by year five, and I've seen this, you know, by year five, we need to be uh, upsetting these top 10 teams. Or it, like Pat McAfee said, you know, it, it shouldn't be a miracle that we're, we're beating these teams or that we can compete. And again, I, I understand the frustration with fans. And, you know, with McAfee, he, he's a big voice, right? He has a big brand. He's on college game day. And he was talking about, you know, by year six and year seven, this, that, and the other. Well, Neil Brown's only on year five. Well, not only, but he's not to this point where McAfee is saying six and seven, right? We haven't got there yet. So he, he misspoke on that part. But again, this idea that year five is this benchmark where we're going on the road and beating these teams... I think we forget some of our history, right? We like to see the, the highlights of beating Georgia and, and Oklahoma and, and upsetting these teams. But, you know, there's seasons in between where we weren't as successful. And if you look at Holgerson in year five of his tenure, so it's 2015, we went, we were winless in October. You know, we played at five, number five, Oklahoma, at home against 21-ranked uh, Oklahoma State, at number two, Baylor, at number five, TCU. We lost all four of those games. We actually didn't even beat a single-ranked team that season. And in that four-game stretch in October, we were outscored 179-98. to 98. So that's about an average 45-24. Uh, to 24. So a loss of 21 points on average. And like I said, that, that was the ranked teams we faced. We didn't beat any of them. And we actually still won eight games. Um, so again, that goes back to this idea that by year five, we need to be upsetting all these teams. Well, Dana didn't do it. Now, I know he's had upsets up to that point, but he also had a lot more talent, right? That Texas uh, win came with Geno and Tavon and Stedman, right? Guys he inherited, not guys that he went out and recruited himself. And when I dive deeper into this, um, you know, kind of with plays off of McAfee's comments, um, you know, like I said, we, we like to reminisce about that big Georgia win and that big, big uh, Oklahoma win in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, those are at the end of the season, right? Um, those aren't to open the season. And I'm going to compare... Uh, two first uh, games of the year. One's going to be 2023 and one's going to be 2005. Now, before I do this, I'm, I'm going to make a disclaimer. I am not comparing these teams overall as far as talent level. I'm not comparing them to what I think 2023 is going to end up like 2005. I'm simply looking at the first games of the season. And if you remember in 2005... That was Pat White's first year. That was Steve Slayton's first year. Owen Schmidt had just walked onto the team. And we didn't know these guys, right? I mean, the coaching staff did because they they recruited them and they practiced with them a lot. But fans, we didn't know. We didn't know who they were. Um, 
they were running a two-back or a two-quarterback system with Pat White and Bednarik. So in that first game against Syracuse, we won 15 to 7. Like I said, two QB system. Pat White into the game three for six with 63 yards and rushed six times for 20 yards. So sometimes I think fans like to think that, well, the, the Pat White and Slayton years, I mean, from day one, we were just running all over people. No. It took about seven games before that really started clicking. And up to that point, you know, in that first game, Steve Slayton didn't even play, or at least he didn't record any stats. You know, he may have been on special teams. But after watching that first game against Syracuse, who in their right mind watched it and said, you know what, that team's going to go into a BCS Bowl. I bet they win 11 games. (laughs) Nobody, nobody was saying that. Because if you watched it, that offense was just awkward and clunky and didn't have a lot of movement at all. You know, no one would have guessed what White, Slayton, and Schmidt were going to be that year. And if you look at the schedule, we keep going down a few games. You know, we end up playing Walford, Maryland, and ECU right after that. And, you know, we won those games, but those are those were mediocre teams. So in that sense, we still didn't really know what we had. And I'll just say this. If this year, if we got to open up with Syracuse, Walford, Maryland, and ECU, you know, most likely we're probably 4-0. You know, I can't guarantee that. I would at least like to say 3-1. and one. Um, But if we opened up with Syracuse this year and, went and, and scored 15-7, to seven, I mean, I can understand calling for Neil Brown's head. But it wasn't Syracuse. It was number seven, Penn State on the road. But anyway, uh, you know, so we win those other games. But what happened when West Virginia came against their first top 10 opponent in 2005. It was number three, Virginia Tech. We hosted them at Mountaineer Field. We lost 34 to seven. So in that year five, when we're supposed to be upsetting top 10 teams, we lost by 17 points to Virginia Tech. And really it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't until game seven against Louisville that we saw what we had in Pat White and Steve Slayton and Owen Schmidt. Game seven, that's over half your schedule. Now, Neil Brown doesn't have till game seven in 2023, right? But do you see the comparison I'm making? Like you, you couldn't project what would happen in 2005 off that first game. If you did, you would say that we're probably a seven, maybe eight win team at most, as bad as we looked against Syracuse. But it took time for those young players, kind of like we have in 2023 and first time guys, to get in the rhythm of the offense and and find their role. You know, and I just, I ask Mountaineer Nation, just, just be patient. It, it's been one game and it's, probably the hardest game that we've had in quite a few years a top 10 team on the road i mean how often do we do that as a program not often and look at the overall schedule or i'm sorry the overall record against penn state there's a reason they've won 40 sometimes like the standard that we've set for neil brown this year it's 
I guess I don't understand because I, I, I think that we tried to set this bar so high because we want it to be there. And if he doesn't meet the standard that we set, well, then he's just terrible. But I think you have to look at the reality of what it is, is West Virginia does not play well against top 10 teams on the road. Now, again, we we do have wins in that in that category, but overall, we, we don't do well. So the fact that Neil Brown didn't do well doesn't jump off the page as alarming. It's okay, that's pretty much been the, the standard for West Virginia. And again, I think we want to see these we look back at these highlights of, you know, the Orange Bowls and, and the other BCS Bowls. And, you know, those were all great. But those also came, at least for Rodriguez, in, in years five, six, and seven. Um, and with Holgerson, I know that Orange Bowl came early, but that was talent he inherited. Once he got his players in that he had been recruiting and fielding that team, we it took him four years to get a 10-win season again so you know there is a process to have to build to these moments and i think that we're just i I think it's a little unfair right now to say well we lost to number seven penn state so this season's going to be a disaster just be patient it's one game we will know how good we are after september trust me we have pitt Texas Tech at TCU. And then starting in October, we go to, to Houston. Going into that Houston game, we will know exactly what kind of team we have. And you guys know me. I, I've said from the start that I was willing to give Neil Brown five years. Well, it's only been one game. So let, let's not, you know, get the torches in, in the rope after after one game that's been the, the hardest opponent on the road we've had in a long time. Okay, let's let's just simmer down a little bit and, and let the team play their games. Let them show us whether they're going to be good or bad. Because let me tell you, if we go against Pitt, Texas Tech, and TCU, and we perform the same way we did against Penn State, then it's going to be a long season. And we know that this season was a bust. And then that Neil Brown essentially is a bust Okay, and then we can make those changes. But if we come out against Pitt, Texas Tech, and TCU and actually look pretty good and fight and get wins, and and we're sitting at three and one, or maybe even four and one or three and two, okay, then there's a better feel for the season. But you have to let those games play out. Just the, the backlash over one game. And I think what gets me frustrated, it's not just one game, it's such a unique situation that historically West Virginia does not perform well in. So I don't know how we can hold that against him when no other coach has ever done that before. So again, I just ask, just be patient. Let's take this a game at a time. Let's not overreact. Um, you know, right now, Colorado's is the is the media darlings. I guarantee they are going to come back down to earth um, after beating TCU. And and for the record, I'll, I'll make a quick note of this. And, and I know people want to be want to say, "Well, look at Dion. They just they just upset TCU on the road, and they were in the national championship." Quick note on that. 
Colorado did not beat last year's TCU national title contender team. That's a completely different team than TCU last year. They lost a quarterback to the NFL. They lost a wide receiver to the NFL. They lost a lot of talent on offense. So let's not jump the gun and just say Dion beat last year's title contender. It's not. It's not the same team. Just like Colorado is not the same 1-11 team, right? They they overhauled and, and put out a, a whole new roster. But I guarantee they will come back down to earth. And I guarantee that West Virginia, if you think they look bad against Penn State, I guarantee they're not as bad as what you think they are. Um, so with that said, yeah, you know, that's kind of my soapbox. Uh, like I always say, you can agree with it. You cannot agree with it. I just think we're jumping the gun from, from game one. Um, you know, let's get back together. We'll get the win at Duquesne. And then we'll see what we do against Pitt. If we get that one, I think we'll feel pretty good, right? Sitting at 2-1 uh, and one on the season, got a win over your rival, go on to Texas Tech and see what happens. Um, just Again, I, I, I just ask Mountaineer Nation, just be patient. And like I said, if this team's no good, we'll know by September. If they are good, or I'm sorry, October. And if they are good, we'll know by October. Um... So yeah, that that that's my assessment on that. that again, that's my soapbox. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, like I said, not a lot of whole stats, just kind of me rambling, bit of therapy session. But uh, I'll come back later in the week. You know, I'll have my college football rankings, uh, where West Virginia sits now overall and in the Big Twelve, and and you know shifts in the top fifteen. Certainly, we had a lot of upsets. Um, but yeah, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. I hope to drop that if not tomorrow then hopefully on Friday. So just uh, be on the lookout for that. Thanks, guys. Fellow Mountaineers, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and I invite you back for the next one where I update my college football rating system. Remember, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Just search Trust the Beard. And for more content, follow me on Facebook at X at Earbeard. That's E-E-R-B-E-A-R-D. Thanks again for listening. And as always, let's go Mountaineers.